0: Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 40. In this episode, we've got two guests with us tonight, both longtime friends of iAnimate. We've got Daryl Purdy and David Hubert, both co-workers there at IDOS Interactive in Montreal, Canada. Recently just finishing up on the next installment of the Tomb Raider series, Rise of the Tomb Raiders, which is receiving great reviews. David Hubert was the Cinematics and Animation Director on that project, with Daryl Purdy as a Senior Animator on that project. Tomb Raider has a long history in video games, and so I'm really looking forward to talking with them about this project, seeing some of the ins and outs of what it was like working in the cinematics portion of this industry, and uh, any insight they can give us, so let's bring them on. All right, well, first of all, fellas, I really do just appreciate you guys jumping on another podcast with me. I know with... uh, life and family and work everything can be kind of hectic and so it's always nice to get you guys in here on the virtual studio and hear what's kind of going on so really first of all thank you guys for joining us
1: my pleasure Thanks.
0: now me. um as we were kind of mentioning beforehand this is not your guys's first rodeo in the podcast daryl this is your second one and david was second or third we can always put in maybe some of the other podcasts in the show notes so people can kind of get a maybe a further history from you guys and where you guys kind of got started on those. But let's kind of start out here, maybe what you guys have been maybe the last year or so, because it's been a little bit. I think we're on this will be podcast number 40, I believe. And I was looking at my notes, and David, you were with uh, Cameron Fielding on episode 15. And Daryl, you're on our sixth podcast. So it's been a while.
1: Man. Like, I'm like first generation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: right. You guys helped us get kicked off. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think I was the the, the co-host on two of the podcasts with uh, Johnny Spinelli as well and with uh, Cameron Fielding. Yep, yep. And then
0: also with Jonah Austin. You were a co-host on That's that one right. too. So yeah. That's right. You've been in a couple wow. of these, but this will be your second one I think as a guest though. So it's been a while, you know. Mm-hmm. Episode 40 now. You've been in 15 and Daryl, number six here. So, um, why don't you guys give us a little bit of catch up here? Maybe when you've been doing maybe the last couple of years here on the, uh, some of the games. Daryl, you want to leave us off?
1: Yeah. So, I got to think. So, last year. So, I guess, um, well, since my podcast, there's probably been quite a bit going on, but I'll try to condense it into a, a, a shorter version. Um, basically, I joined IDOS, uh, I guess it was a few years ago. For an unnamed project um, that, uh, sadly, a little ways into it was cancelled. But then we kept kind of the core team together. And uh, with Dave as our kind of leader, we kind of started up a cinematics department. Um, So I was working there for, um, I guess, a little while. Um, We were working on Rise of the Tomb Raider, was one of the primary projects. And we were helping out on some other projects from Square. And then I stepped away from Idos for a short time, for about, I guess, five months. I did a, a little kind of contract at one of the VFX um, studios here in Montreal called Rodeo FX.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: So um, I worked just on a couple, like I worked on The Last Witch Hunter, which was the Vin Diesel movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, did some kind of work that I can't really talk about, about upcoming projects. But then uh, Eidos contacted me or Dave contacted me and said there might be a position if there that I might be interested in coming back. Um, And it was for, I guess, cinematic performance director is what it is. So basically moving forward on our kind of next cinematics, I'll be kind of directing actors and overseeing the performance capture shoots for all of our cinematics. Um, So I've been back only freshly back maybe I think a month now. Uh, that I've kind of come back. So um, it was kind of nice, though. I got to spend at least a year, I think, on Rise of the Tomb Raider. A little over a year, probably. But um, I just didn't get to finish it out there
2: because of the film contract. So,
0: gotcha. I'm going to come back to some questions here. Uh, but David, what about you? What have you been up to here?
2: Uh, um, yeah, so basically, as uh, Daryl mentioned, I joined us uh, like th- three years ago after leaving DreamWorks when the project that we worked on has been put on the shelf uh there was pretty much just one up uh, for us either everybody would spread out and and leave or be uh, you know in in on different uh, put on different other project or we kind of started our own department and say hey you know we have skills we have a lot of the team that worked on feature before so it might make sense to um to try to Uh, create a group that will tackle the cinematics on many different departments. It was a little bit bit of our mission in the beginning, try to bring the the feature quality um, and expertise to video game at a moment that technology started to allowed us to, to really go get those, those details and be serious about storytelling in, in video games. So the, the timing was just great. Uh, it's just that we had no project to work on. <laughs> um, so after, cause you know, there was already, um, Uh, ADOS Montreal was already working on DSX and there was already a team within the DSX team that was uh, dealing with the cinematic. So this is when we started to have a discussion with uh, Crystal Dynamics, which which are owned by um, Square Enix as well. Uh, They were just starting uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, they were starting on the cinematics as well. And when they, they knew that we might be available, they, they started to, to poke us to do some tests here and there.
0: Sure.
2: Uh, a few few tests started, uh, became some uh, with uh, rig wrecking and some facial tests, and then a little bit of previous and then a little bit of script event. And honestly, one thing just led to another. Uh, we ended up having all of the almost an hour and a half of cinematic to produce. Really? Uh, yeah uh, on our side so it it was there was really three studios involved in that there was crystal dynamic which was owning and and uh, you know creating the game itself um, there was digital domain where all the performance mocap shoot would be done and it would do some Vcam as well and then we would take um, uh, all the data on our side and build the sequence itself, finish animation, do the lighting effects and all that. So like I said, one thing led to another. We started with a few rig rigging tests and we ended up having to create this hour and a half of cinematic for for (laughs) them. Basically had a little
0: feature in, not a little feature, a a full feature in the video game. Yep, that's
2: amazing. It started, I think at the beginning they talked about maybe fifty, fifty something minutes, and then it ended up almost an hour and a half. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which happens in game. <laughs> you have no idea. You have storyboards, but when you go on performance <laughs> capture shoot with actors, you have no idea how how long that sequence is going to end if they, if they start to improvise. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that here, but let's jump back
0: to Daryl. Daryl on the uh, rodeo effects. What was some of the stuff that you handled over there?
1: Um, so I went to Rodeo actually as a senior animator. Okay. Um, so I guess, you know, as Dave knows, it was a tough decision to leave Eidos at that uh-huh. point because, you know, I, I actually loved the Tomb Raider franchise. I loved the reboot that they did right. before what's coming out tomorrow, Rise. Um, and, you know, what, the work that the cinematic team was, was doing was, you know, I would consider you know pretty much at the top of the the game for lack of a better term you know it's really pushing the boundaries i think for getting across subtle emotion and all that stuff so the the level of quality that idos was doing was was amazing but i think it was it's always been kind of a personal goal of mine i guess at some point uh, uh, you know as an artist I did like when and on Far Cry when I was cinematic director and I did like overseeing a team and stuff like that, but there's always the other side of the coin where me as an artist is just somebody who sits down and kind of hones my craft. Mm-hmm. I always kind of have this, I guess, dual personality where I feel when I'm doing one thing, I tend to kind of have a little voice in the back of my head saying like, Oh, are you losing your skills or should you be <laughs> trying that? Or do you want to, you know, go back to that? So an opportunity came up to, to, kind of explore that so i, I kind of jumped on it just as a you know a, just a senior animator to be doing creature animation basically that's awesome which you know kind of i guess helped out as well because uh you know i teach the creature yep. the beginner locomotion um so I, I did that it was a great studio really nice place to work but <laughs> i guess uh, the add side of me <laughs> 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 i realized the uh, Personally, I think, um, you know, at this point in my life, uh, I I realized that, you know what, I I think I probably was happier when I was directing actors. And that was probably one of the the most enjoyable jobs I had on Far Cry. So when Dave mentioned it to to me that this might be an option, uh, it was really kind of – a no brainer for me Uh, to to do that. I think is great. I love just the collaboration with actors and I love uh, being in the performance capture volume and and overseeing a shoot, which is uh, really something that's quite enjoyable.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about that though is kind of, I guess on a twofold one, like you said, you were going to hone your craft. And so that's admirable there. But the other part I love about that is part of the reason why we have instructors like you teaching at iAnimate is because you guys are in the day-to-day grind and so for you to be teaching our creature class going out and making sure you're honing your craft on that it's just it's neat for me because now I know that you're bringing back that to the students so that's really really cool thank you David okay jump back onto this side here on the cinematics department okay this is kind of intriguing to me so basically I doesn't have a cinematics department how much convincing did it take from you guys to to develop this new department here
2: Usually the the cinematics are handled uh, within each project, so each project they're going to work on the game, but they're going to have a few animators and a few technical animators that would handle uh, many things, but among those things they will handle the cinematics. This has the advantage that you know, they, they know the tools, they, they know the game itself, they know the people on the floor. But each new game, you kinda, it's almost like you restart. You have to redevelop the expertise uh, because performance and facial animation and all that really is uh, an expertise. So um, if you are a studio that has strong franchise with strong character, it totally makes sense for you to want to evolve and be able to learn and progress from one production to the other. It's the it's David see directly the head of the studio that approached us uh, when our project had been put on the shelf, who asked us if it would make sense to start a cinematic department. Mm. So there was not much we had to convince at ADOS Montreal itself. It was more to convince Square Enix to allow, allow us to, you know, have our own department. And obviously there's a lot uh, a lot involved with that uh we also wanted to build our own um motion capture room which we have today and there there was a lot of like I told them uh, at first that if we want to do this for real uh, we we you don't have a, a group of artists here that want to become a sausage factory and we're just you know uh Create two hours of cinematic uh, a year and, and just focus on production. We want to produce quality, and there's some. Uh, we need some support in that. So as soon as we realize that yes, we don't just have the support of ADOS Montreal, but we do have the support of Square Enix as well, which has many studios worldwide. Uh, this is when for us it kind of okay. Now this is serious, and now it it it's uh, it, it's a big motivation for us to uh, to move forward. So yeah, so now that's the nature of the uh, of our cinematic department. We kind of uh, attach ourselves on different production, uh, <laughs> and we're like this little team that is of outsiders. that say, hey, hi guys, we're here to do your cinematic. So, what's the story here? What's the characters? All right, cool. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> so that's a little bit of our, our
0: approach there. What's cool about that though is, and I'm sure the the players realize it at some point, but I'm going. They're getting feature quality animators doing the cinematics now, and it's just I, what a, a bonus and plus I, I'm sure they're just now receiving. But I'm sure that's very visible once they get the cinematics and see that that maybe difference
1: in quality too. I, I could I I have a I, I think almost. Um... A great kind of experience with exactly what you're saying, Larry, because I had left when we were, we were starting like packages on a lot of the data that had come in. So we, we had already started to put certain scenes through, you know, quite a few rounds of iteration. Okay. But when I left, everything was still kind of in development, so to speak, it was at a certain level, but um, you know, there was still room to to push it further. But when I returned about a month ago, one of the first things is, you know, because I'm ramping up for the next project, so one of the first things was Dave sent me a link of like, okay, here's all of the the final cinematics, have a look through them, you know? And I got to say, it was really, really enjoyable. I mean... <laughs> And I mean he was probably because Dave's quite busy right now on another project, so he was probably getting upset at me because I kept like poking him and being like this scene it's great <laughs> like, the emotion that's coming through it's like <laughs> I mean there are some real genuine moments in there that are well for me I mean it's it, it speaks exactly to who I am as a gamer because I tend to like games that are. You know the more action adventure games, but that have a very well kind of developed character mm-hmm. and story, and kind of have a more filmic arc right. from the character standpoint. And I get to play as a as a as a player. I get to play kind of the action moments and stuff like that. But then I can sit back and watch the character. You know, the, the scenes unfold, and I see get to see the emotional arc of the character. So, like Tomb Raider, the structure of it is built exactly for me. So. I was actually blown away. I loved what I saw, honestly.
0: That's amazing.
1: Well, When you go back
0: to being gameplay, though, it's not like you disconnect and go, okay, well, now I'm playing the game. It's that same emotion that you just saw in the cinematics now carry over to you, and now as you're playing the character, I can see where that's definitely driving even the action parts of that, too.
2: Yeah, it's definitely the the connection with the character because uh, I think that players can appreciate uh, well-executed animation. They can appreciate nice rendering, but at the end, End of the day is really about this uh, visceral connection that you that you have with the the character that you have to to play. It's all about the character. It's all about the story, uh, and it's caring for the character. So if you're able to break this uncanny barrier that. that and you can really feel the emotion that the character is having, then you're going to care for it. And just a few seconds after that, you're back into gameplay and like, I have to get out of there. Uh, it, it, it really brings a lot. to I wouldn't say it, it brings something to any type of video game. There are some games that are just, you know, arcade type that are it, it, just cool to play. Uh, but for the type of franchise that right. we have with strong characters, which uh, whether it's uh, Hitman or DSX or Tomb Raider, many of the franchise, from the, yeah, the, the, the Square Enix uh, studio those are all it seems that they are made for good quality cinematics because it's going to build the character uh, and it's going to make the experience just even more enjoyable for, for the player right right absolutely absolutely
0: um, how about the rigs for the cinematics is, is that some of the stuff they had to change up quite significantly from the game to that or do you guys have to work within that confinement or how does that work for you
2: guys well, honestly, now technology evolved a lot, so there seem that there's a lot of barrier every year that are uh, broken. So for us, there was definitely some uh, <clears throat> some details in the facial animation that we had in uh, in cinematic that they couldn't afford in gameplay. Um, but for the rest, it's it's the same. It's mostly the same rig. Uh, the cinematics are played in in real time, so it's not like there's a movie that mm. starts to play. Everything is real time there, uh, which really helps to have a seamless experience between gameplay and, and cinematics. Um, so the 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 complexity uh, of the rig is not that much uh, an issue anymore for a video game. Gotcha. Um, and every new generation of console, every new uh, every year, it's getting better and better and better.
1: Which is, uh, I think is one of the single most greatest advancements in games is that the in-game character now can resemble the cinematic character so much right because that was the biggest disconnect you know a few generations ago is that you'd be playing this game that had whatever limited polygons limited texture sizes all of this limitations and then you would get this pre-rendered cutscene that looked amazing <laughs> and as a gamer you'd be able, you'd just be getting into the cutscene and then you'd have to go back into games. and there was always that little moment where you're kind of like Oh, all right. <laughs> Once you, you get playing, you'd be like, okay, it's fine. Until the next cutscene came, and then you'd be like, oh, okay, it doesn't look as good as I thought it did. Which now, having, you know, kind of almost a one to one or close to it, uh-huh. it really does help the immersion. And and like you said, you can carry over that emotion that you might have got in a very intimate scene. You can carry that through into your gameplay because it, it really does feel like you're playing with that same character. Right. Right. Now, what was your involvement, Daryl, with the game? Uh, so I was an animator on the cinematics team okay. uh, for, for this past one. Okay. Uh, so I had just come from Warner Brothers as animation director, uh, but again, Dave and I had sat down for a lunch <laughs> at some point.
2: And then... it, it, one of those lunch. Yeah, <laughs> we seem to have quite a few. I just convinced directors and supervisor to come and be senior animators. <laughs> <for> That's
1: <story. laughs> true. It's, it's quite a senior staff. Um, well, I had mentioned to him at lunch one time that um, I had just kind of come off Far Cry, which was. Well, I had been a little bit off Far Cry. i have been at Warner Brothers for about just under a year. and But Far Cry had been quite a, an intensive production. So being cinematic and animation director on that, it was pretty hectic for about three years. Mm. Um, and then I went right on to a, a, a project, a fairly big project at, at Warner Brothers as animation director. And I think I was just getting to the point where I was like, ooh, you know, I could probably take a... A break from that level of development. So we had sat down for a lunch to discuss probably I animate stuff. I think it was that time, <laughs> and I had just kind of been telling Dave like, you know, you know, I was thinking about maybe just going back to animation, and he's like, oh, really? You'd want to do that? <laughs> well, we might have something for you, and that kind of started. So I joined the team, like I said, for another project. But once that had um, had been put on the shelf. Um, when Dave had mentioned that there might be a possibility of a cinematics department starting up, I was all in. Like I I say, I love cinematic games.
0: Now, Dave, what what was your position on that? Were you leading the team, directing, or were you actually animating as well?
2: When I joined Aidos Montreal, it was not for the cinematic department, then it was for the previous game that that got canceled. At that point, I was animation and cinematic director. Um, animation director for both cinematic and the, the, the gameplay side of it as well. Um, and a role that I kept when we built the cinematic department. Uh, so, you know, just act as um, the uh, the uh, supervision, leadership, uh, making sure that we're always aiming to uh, feature quality animation standards, uh, making sure that we, you know, assemble uh, we assemble all the pieces, all the different people that we needed to to. Other strong departments. So basically, just having a team and push forward to make sure that you know remove all the obstacles in front and push the team forward to produce good quality stuff. So you didn't animate. You didn't get to animate on it. No, I I think the last time I touch uh, I touch animation curve was maybe three years ago. Okay. And it's funny because now it's after at the end of the, the Tomb Raider production. And now that we're going into another one, another one. Uh, there is definitely some days that I have the, the, what we call now the. The Daryl syndrome <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like I maybe for a few days I'd like just uh, I will tell uh, everyone okay now this guy is gonna <laughs> over there is gonna review all of your animation. I'm just gonna put my headphones and animate my sequence here for a few days and w- work on my animation and and who knows maybe that's gonna happen in yeah gotcha. uh, next few years but for now, as we're still growing as a as a department um I'd rather surround myself with great artists and make sure that we all push in the same direction than having to be in the day-to-day um, too much in the trenches at animating myself
0: Right, no, that's awesome and that's definitely a, a major skill set to be able to do that and lead and direct but that's the reason I guess I was asking though too because I'm going, okay, is that something where you kind of itch back a little bit you're going, okay, I gotta I gotta get in there a little bit you know um, Yeah, yeah, definitely Your game was cancelled after how many years?
2: um i'd say it was maybe one year of production okay, okay. um so it and anyway honestly I, I i i had enough discussion with rick to know that game industry is uh anything is possible okay
0: that's why i'm asking <laughs> that because i'm going it, after it, a it,
2: year it, of production all of a sudden it's gone
0: you're like what oh yeah.
1: my gosh there's worse ones than that i know people who were on <laughs> project for like four years and then it was like canceled or something. That's I don't right.
0: understand that. Is it just that much more money to get it out the door and it's just not worth it or?
1: Uh, honestly, that, those are decisions that are far above my grade. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was. I remember when I was in Australia. I was working on um, a project uh, at um, Pandemic, which Pandemic no longer exists. And that project was at least two years in. I'd worked on it for over a year. It was in development for a year, a good year before I was there, and they shut that down. Mm. So.
2: Yeah, it yeah. was a combination. It was, it was a very ambitious project. Probably one of the biggest projects for Montreal at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Square Enix didn't had a very good fiscal year. So there was like a, uh, you know, a perfect storm of yeah, many different so, reasons why there. they just cut cold you, I think, and say, okay, this is a little too risky. We're going to go back into doing stuff that we know that are, are more, you know, at reach Yeah, for, for that time. So, and sometimes uh, you got to do that
0: and make sure you keep things moving forward, though. So, yeah, yeah. that's understandable. But it's just, I was kind of curious. At that
2: time, for me, honestly, I had already built a team, a super strong team. So, to be able to take this team and build a cinematic department, it's like, okay, we lost a project, but we still have the team. So, for me, at least half of what we had accomplished the past year remain we've been able to 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 build upon and move forward
0: gotcha no absolutely yeah none of that stuff i was just talking with uh it might have been jason um and just talking about yeah there's shots that i've done in practice and stuff like that and you look back and you go okay i can't use any of that but it wasn't a waste you know you take it for what you learn from it and then you move on to the next stuff and and use
2: what you learn uh moving forward
0: so yeah it's never never a waste
2: As I I said, most of the team were either coming from games or or from uh, the admitted feature industry. So uh, there was a big learning experience in this year, just like you you mentioned, for for everyone, for myself to to build a team, for everyone within the team to work together, to to push over quality. So... Obviously, it was a hard hit when we learned the news. But I say that maybe a few days, even a week after, we're all we had a plan and we started to move forward, and we never look back after Mm -hmm. that.
0: Now, getting the talent there in Montreal is that something that's been relatively easy or difficult, or how's that been for you? Kind of like you mentioned, you're getting this team together. I know there's a lot of game studios there, and then as uh, Daryl was talking about some visual effects and stuff. I know that area is obviously growing, but at this time here, was that difficult for you to get good artists up there
2: or uh, for your team? It was fairly (laughs) difficult, although uh, with the experience I had and the the network of people I knew in Montreal, I've been able to have lunch with them one by one (laughs) (laughs) and slowly attract them (laughs) in my trap, one after the other. Uh, So I've been really fortunate. Uh, for that because it's hard and and, you know you're looking at a team that has an average of close to 15 years uh, of experience um, and you're looking for multi-discipline artists as well it's not just animation it's motion editing it's being able to uh, do uh, realistic performance animation there's a lot of technical side to it as well you have to put this in the engine there's so many stuff that you you, there are so many skills you need to, to develop and there are so many uh, knowledge you need to, to get that it, it's uh, it's pretty hard to, to find people that will not only thrive in this environment, but that will not go crazy and leave <laughs> after a month. So. <laughs> now, I know you got um,
0: Sebastian DeSalt there. Is that correct? No, Sebastian is actually at uh, Ubisoft Quebec. Oh, that's right, that's right. Okay, yeah, because yep. we're looking at getting a podcasting with him too. We're going to be talking with him. Um, you know, you are kind of just yep. talking about making sure you get the right talent there who knows all this kind of stuff. But he was one of our uh, INMA alumni. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I remember I, I spoke with uh, Sebastian at some point. I was definitely about to invite him to have lunch but it was in Quebec and it was in Montreal so <laughs> <laughs> Ubisoft Quebec was uh was closer for him and honestly as his first uh gig on Assassin's Creed uh, I think he he was very fortunate to to be able to land um a, a job there and I know that he did really well so yeah. good for him yeah we're looking forward to talking with him in the soon podcast here coming up
0: um okay you mentioned performance capture there now Daryl, you've had some experience working with actors and th- things of that nature. Was there anything that was different working at uh, on this project?
1: Well, so this project, I had a bit of a different. I was really kind of, like I say, an animator. So I would get the data back and kind um, of you know, just basically start doing polish pass on it. Mm. On Far Cry, it was a bit different because um, I was the cinematic director, and really, it was more setting up the pipe. Like, uh, I mean, we we basically. St- were one of the first projects at ubisoft at that time to actually use performance capture so they have their own in-house software that they use that captures the camera or data um and then of course they have a a, a quite a nice mocap volume there that does full performance capture so really my role at ubisoft was was more in a directorial role where i i did the first animation test on our very first um um, kind of test of of the pipeline which was kind of the monologue that the the Voss character in, in Far Cry 3 the kind of insanity monologue which was our first kind of te- screen test um, but then after that I didn't really touch I didn't touch a scene it was more directing so in that respect I was kind of overseeing you know I met with writers and went over the script I did Pretty much most of the casting so i flew all over canada the united states been to la tons of time so did the casting kind of run and then it was directing the actors in the performance capture and then directing the animation team afterwards Mm. when the data was in so it was really more overseeing in that role and on on at idos on on tomb raider i was an animator dave was the one overseeing for quality and all of that stuff, and Dave will probably speak to it, but Dave was at a lot of the performance capture shoots. So it was really kind of... I was familiar with it because I had done the first kind of test at Ubisoft, but it was really more an animator role.
0: Now, David, this was kind of your first outing for games, right? I mean, because you came from DreamWorks (laughs) to this, and and like you said, the project you're working on was shelved, and this was your first game out. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. I mean, that's pretty diverse like you're talking about coming from uh dreamworks where they have specialists in those departments to where now you're you're working in an area still animation but like you said a a lot more skill sets are required i guess to a certain degree there what were some of the um shock moments i guess for you like whoa this is okay um uniqueness i guess culture shock i guess
2: yeah, um, definitely. When we started on the previous game, um, what we 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 had just time to finish producing before uh, the game got cancelled was a uh, fake game footage, which is basically we we take a five minute of what the game uh, should be, what we wanted to to look like, and we basically build um you know not even a cinematic but uh, an animation piece of video that will uh, you know represent exactly what you want the player to to experience so this is when I started to to deal with the, the concept of gameplay and responsiveness of mm-hmm. uh, of the player and all those things that you don't have to, to think about when you're just uh, building a movie now it's your animation is going to be played it's not just gonna be watched so it's very different Um <laughs> Another thing that I very rapidly realize is just the sheer amount of data that we'll need to use. I mean, let's just say, okay, 200 animation multiplied by 20-something characters multiplied by (laughs) X, and rapidly, like, okay, we're... How many zeros is there after the one <laughs> of the ambition that we have to produce? So this is where you're like, okay, we have good intentions here, but we we'll start to have, we, we, we should start to make numbers to to make sure that we'll be able to 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 do it. Um, so there was definitely the, the the ambition of the game and all, all the technical aspect of it. Um, and when we started, uh, so video game was new for me, so obviously cinematic was new for me. Uh, just as performance capture was new for me. So I really had to to learn on the, the spot and obviously uh, had very long discussion with people that already went through that process, a- including uh, Daryl and a lot of research on, uh, on my hand. Um, for the cinematic itself, those are little storytelling moments that needs to fit within the level, within a moment. Um, and for cinematic, one of the things that is extremely challenging is that Everything seems to be changing at any given point. You're working on a sequence that you're trying to finalize, but maybe the chair in this level is going to change. Maybe the character will have uh, a bigger coat than what he has. Has currently maybe there'll be a new line of dialogue that you'll have to put. Maybe they're gonna recast a character. They did that for two of the character <laughs> uh, after that we, we shot performance capture. Um, there there's so many maybes that you never feel that you're stepping on you know on a hard S- solid ground. Match. It's always like okay something it the, the floor is always you know mo- moving as you're uh, stepping forward. So you really need to try to keep your sanity at the Good level and trying not to think about all this and see the big picture and focus on the details, but not go crazy by by everything that uh, that, that is going on. So that was definitely one of the moments for for me uh, for the cinematics. Um, and as for performance capture, that's a com- that's another beast completely. Uh, like I said, uh, everything so far uh, since I joined ADOS, it's always one thing that is leading to another thing that is leading to another thing. So one day we're just have the mandate to do some rig wrecking on a few facial rig. The next day I'm on the plane because I have to go and make sure that the actors are doing exactly what Crystal Dynamics wrote on the script and that we have to, to, to interpret. So um, in video game, you have the... I'd say the, the 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 luxury to to you can change anything at any point because until <laughs> it's in the box. I mean, three weeks from putting it in the box, you can decide that your character is gonna be is gonna have brown hair rather than blonde hair. Uh, uh, in this case, it would not have much effect for us, but you can do anything. Everything is real time. There's no renders. You, you can do it. Daryl, how much of the uh,
0: performance are you? are you taking do you guys are you guys using some liberty to to kind of run with it or because of the amount of animation that you guys are actually using for the game i.e an hour and a half um or are you kind of having to stick a little more strict to what they did
1: you mean for rise of the tomb raider yes well i mean we're taking pretty much the shoots that dave was in on i mean it's all that stuff so really it's like dave said um You know, him being the person who knew exactly where all of these sequences came from, um, by default, just by kind of, I guess, natural selection in in a performance shoot, because, you know you kind of, your time is very precious in performance capture, right? Because it's very expensive for the, obviously the actors, the talent, um, uh, you know, if there's a performance director there, plus the, just the mocap or the performance capture space and the crew, it's quite expensive. So you want to have somebody there that knows exactly what's going on, right? From a, from everything from like Dave said, from a blocking standpoint, from why this scene is even there, where they're coming from, where they're going, all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that's why naturally Dave just became kind of that go-to guy being at the shoot. We're using pretty much all that. I mean, of course, there's reshoots that have to happen sometimes because if the, if the, um, if the script changes or something like that. Because, you know, even on Far Cry 3, you know, you can say at some point that you have a locked script. But the, as Dave kind of alluded to before about game development is, um, you know, it is very malleable. Um, and a lot of times when you're, when you have a plan for, for whatever, a level of the way you think it's going to flow, once you get that level up and running and you start to Test it a bit you might find that it's not really paced the way you want it to so you need to switch some things around but switching those things around in that level may throw off the narrative as well so maybe now this scene that was going to be here at that time is not really appropriate so now they have to go back and go okay well actually we need to hit another emotional moment here so maybe we need to rewrite this scene so Mm. then then sadly you get a rewrite and now you have to organize a a a performance capture shoot for that Mm. right so i i You know, I kind of laugh sometimes when when people say that, oh, the script is locked, because every game (laughs) I've ever been on, the script has never been locked, and the game has never been completely locked until very late. Um, And I know it's frustrating to some people. I think I've been in games now on and off over 10 years, so I I just, I I think it's kind of in me now. I'm just kind of used to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, that may be a bad thing, but um, I, I guess the, the only way I can think of it is when I, when we were on Far Cry and we were doing the performance capture, the only way I could describe how I kind of directed was – well, and Far Cry was a bit different because we we did let the actors have a bit of liberty, right? So we let them improv a little bit. Um, now, this took – this did take a bit of convincing to kind of the, the – you know, the producers and the people on the project and also especially the writer, the, the head writer, because, you know, it, it is very it's a very delicate situation. You know, a writer pours a lot of their heart and soul into what they do. Right. And I'm sure as they're writing it, if anybody's ever done a little bit of writing, when you're writing something, you tend to be as you're writing dialogue or you're writing a scene, you're you're voicing those characters in your head and mm-hmm. you're hearing those lines said a certain way as you're writing them out. Um, so then to go into, you know, a, a rehearsal or, you know, a a performance capture with, with actors and then for the director. And that was me at the time to be like, okay, you know, let's try something new with this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, we would give them like in rehearsal, I would give them quite a bit of freedom. I would say, look, uh, here is the intention of this line. And here's the, the, here's what we need to hit emotionally, but you say it how you, you feel the character would say it. Mm-hmm. And so we'd kind of do a little bit of that for a while, and we'd hone that in, in, in rehearsal. Um, and then when we got on the shoot, though, I would still allow for a little, bit of, um, a little bit of kind of ad-libbing if the actor was comfortable with it. Some actors aren't. Like, I, I worked with a couple actors who were just like, no, I'm just going to say the line as written. Okay, cool. And then even sometimes, you know, I had an actor that's like, I just want you to tell me how you want it delivered. And I will, I'll hit those beats. Huh. Like, uh, okay, but then I had other actors who were very comfortable improving and very comfortable just kind of getting into the emotion. So mm-hmm. in that case, as a director, I'm just there to get them to the emotion that I want, or uh-huh. the, you know, and then they're going to deliver what they deliver, um, which I found very exciting. But it was a, a delicate situation with the writer, and I. I I still work with this writer today, but he's he's actually at Ido's now. But, um, <laughs> but the idea He, is he had a
0: know. lunch with Dave, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we did have a few moments at the beginning of the project um, where, you know, it was a bit tense. But I think it was – he came to a couple of rehearsals and I just simply told him like, you know – this is what we're going for, okay? And I I just want you to have a bit of an open mind. I know they're not going to hit every word that you have, but I hope that the emotion that you wanted to get through in the scene is still going to come through in these characters. They're just not going to say the exact words that you put on the page. And so once we did that and he saw a couple of our screen tests and he liked it – Yeah. Then it was great. Then then he was at the shoots, and if we did do a line change, because it's very important, he would be there to record the line change and we'd update the script because, again, in games, it's a lot different. That script has to be propagated then to the audio department, which has to be localized depending on how many languages you're uh, going to do. Yeah, yeah. So then that that final script, so eventually there is a final script, that has to be transcribed into multiple different languages, and so all those lines have to be – Um, accounted for even if you ad lib on the day and shoot the script has to be updated Um, so it was a little bit more work on far cry 3 to do that but i you know i pretty much i stand by the the results because i think we got some really interesting characters but again we were really focused on the characters being interesting because we couldn't have interesting camera angles. We couldn't have an interesting edit. We couldn't pace the scene that way. We had to pace it really verbally and with the actor's performance. So it was in that way. It was a little bit more theatrical in that. You know, like so. Like you know, you're looking at a stage, and okay. here you're. Um, so so it's it's interesting because you know that's kind of the. The, the jump off point for me as a director when I'm directing actors is I go first try to get emotion, the emotional beats, and then we'll worry about tightening up the dialogue and all that stuff to get it kind of where we want it to. But yeah. you know, ideally if the writer is is okay with at least the you know of course you don't want them to say anything, right? You need yeah. them to still pretty much hit the you know, the the right lines but if you can give an actor i find a little bit of freedom they're going to give you More 10, than, yeah things yeah i mean if you just if, if you they know like it's a safe kind of place where they trust that you're not gonna get mad at them if they miss one word or two words and and you know it's great i mean once once they kind of feel free to do that you get them emotionally engaged from my experience anyways yeah. which is which is magic
2: and just to follow up to that, you're really looking for a few moments uh, in a sequence, right? So if you have a two, three minute sequence, there may be like four or five beats that you really want to make sure to write the, the, the to hit the right tone, the right subtext, the right emotion and, and all of that. Uh, and there's never one take that's gonna be perfect. But you want to make sure that okay, I have my checkbot, this, we've been able to hit this, 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 and this. Um, and just to come back to your initial question of how much do you keep from the performance capture, Yes. ideally yes. you would keep everything, but often the reality is that you don't have a two or three or five minutes of pure gold. Uh, so often there was a little gap here and there that, uh, you know, you don't know if the character, and in a mocap room, you're in a, a basically a gray box, right? Theater, there's it's it's hard to immerse the the, the actor. So sometimes you just feel that he really hit the right beats there, but for this 30 seconds, it seems like, He's just zoned out and he's looking at the gray wall, and there's not much going on there because you know it's maybe the other actor that was uh, performing. But then you you bring that, you create a cinematography, and you realize that you know actually what is important there is not that much what this actor, this character is saying, but the reaction of the other one. So you frame the reaction of the other one, but he's doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So like, so those are the moments that you say, okay, now. Let's put that in the hands of great animators. And okay. th- there was one of the notes. I had many different notes that were like two or three words that were coming often, uh, very often. But the, the uh, add life note was at the end of the production, every animator <laughs> understood that, okay, I need to put more eye darts in there, maybe a blink, maybe a half blink, a little a little look inside uh, as the character is, you know, figuring out uh, his thoughts and then looking, reconnecting with the other character. Um, this is something we had to do a lot. And even if the performance ca- uh, capture technology that, that we had was pretty good, uh, when you have the right camera angle, and when you have the right lighting and all that, everything is, is seems a little bit different depending mm-hmm. on the angle that you have. So again, you have to readjust. There's not one shot of the hour and a half that we don't have animators that went back on it either to improve what was already in there or to literally change completely mm. wh- yeah. what was there. So. So ideally you could everything from performance capture, but the reality is that you have to improve it or change it on the fly as you're moving forward. So just
0: as the anime or sorry, just as the um, performance actors kind of have some liberty to work within that the animators have some liberty to work within.
1: Oh, so I mean there's tons of animation. Like, I mean, I always thought like on, on Far Cry it was, the performance the motion capture and the performance capture got you seventy percent of the way there. Okay. Maybe seventy it got you a really nice starting point. Mm-hmm. And then there was just the same blood, sweat, and tears that an animator puts into feature work, they mm-hmm. put into this to to bring it to that final that, polish there, huh? Yeah. So okay. you, the animators are worth their waiting gold to get that, that performance. Yeah.
2: So, uh, as you said, Larry, just as the actors can, you know, give, uh, bring to the shoot, the animators will bring as well. The the challenge afterwards is just to keep, you know, uh, a very well defined sandbox in which they can play. Because the last thing that you want is that your character goes off model, uh, off model, because each animator decided to, I don't want to say improvise, but improve in different directions. Right, right. Uh, It might be really well executed but this is not the character, right. and the player will definitely notice it. So we want to make sure that we have some guidelines that every animators are following and playing within
0: those boundaries. Well, that kind of gives a, a, a nice segue here, because this is Rise of the Tomb Raider. Is this the second game of the reboot? Yeah. How is that working on this one here? Because that's a, obviously it was a, a, a well-known franchise, so I know the first reboot was a big plus for the for the franchise. But now you guys are following up on something that's successful here. Yeah. How how was some of that stuff established for Lara Croft in this reboot that you guys mm-hmm. had or that you guys modified for this game here?
2: Well, honestly, we're in a great position because, first of all, we had the opportunity, as our first project, as a new department, we had to work on a franchise that had a very good first game a few mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, but the cinematic were definitely... I would say not uh, one of the, the the a high point in the game, which means that you know the the, the story was interesting, the character was interesting, but the execution of animation itself and rendering and all that could greatly be in, be improved with. Not only the new generation of console, but, you know, uh, uh, you know just a mindset of how to, 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 to push our quality. So we knew that it was a terrain on which we could really improve something that was already uh, working well. And as for Lara uh, herself, uh, they updated uh, the, uh, the model, you know, to fit the new standards of quality. So none of the previous library or basically there's absolutely nothing that would have been given as, OK, you need to follow this because this yeah. is what we established. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, um, yeah, we definitely had a, a, a lot to uh, to create with a lot of libraries at first. What? So this is our base model. But when she's smiling, what does the smile look like? All the phonemes and, and all that. So the, we we definitely had a, a lot to bring uh, onto during uh, the pre uh, pre production phase. And now. Um, let's talk about the facial
0: part of that. Cause that's one of the things that seems to be kind of um, and I'm not talking about so much present day, but that was one of the things that always kind of seemed to kind of come last as far as development kind of came in video games was the facial performance part of uh, that high standard here. Um, and I haven't got to see a whole lot just yet, obviously cause the game comes out tomorrow and I've, uh, but I've seen some of the trailers and stuff like that. How were we, How well were you pleased in regards to what you were able to accomplish in the facial areas of this game, and this cinematics-wise? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, we talked a little bit about some of the uh, oh shit moment <laughs> that yeah. I had along the time, but definitely <laughs> one of the base, best best uh, moment on that production is when we saw the the first uh, finalized sequence that we had produced, which is one that uh, uh, Johnny Spinelli, one of our creature animator, who That's used right. to 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 be with uh, us at Ida's before uh he moved at uh, ILM on uh, Jurassic World uh he was the animator on that sequence mm. um and it's one of the sequence that we we can see in uh, many different uh, uh teasers and, and and trailers it's when Lara is being put in, in prison and there you have this moment that she's looking out of prison that she hears some some scream uh, i'd see this entire sequence the performance the rendering of uh, that and this is the, the the first sequence that we that we uh, finish and for some unknown reason that sequence never changed mm. during during mm-hmm. the entire mm-hmm. production. So when I saw the quality of that performance, the quality of performance, the quality of facial animation and rendering, this is when I said, "Okay, we we have something here." Very cool. uh, and now our goal is try to get this that we've been able to accomplish as much as we can on the rest of the um, of the show. So I'd say there's. There's a lot of moment that I'm really, really uh, pleased with, and I'm really satisfied with. And and often it it's just those little, those little moments in close up, but you feel that you have a real you know uh, living character in front of you. So for me, those are the most satisfying um, uh, moments. Now you said, oh, go ahead, Daryl.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, I. Couldn't agree more honestly i'm I like I said, coming back, taking a bit of a break and then coming back and seeing some of the stuff there um I was blown away honestly because you know again, when I was at Ubisoft, the first person camera angle was really difficult because you were in a close up or a medium shot all the time on your character. <laughs> right? and you know it was last generation console so Although we were getting nice results, we were nowhere near what we can get now. And coming back and looking at the cinematics now, I agree with what Dave said. Like, it's the close-ups on on Lara specifically because she's a very appealing character. Mm-hmm. But the close-ups are some of them some of the greatest stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's just there is some real moments in there where you you feel you know genuine emotion and 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 subtlety of of like emotion as well which uh, I was blown away by I was like super happy because it's like Dave said that first test that was an oh shit moment for me when I when I saw when when Johnny had completed it. You were really like, you know, we, we might be able to do this. <laughs> 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 it's, it's possible. Can we do it for an hour and a half? <laughs> but uh, no,
2: honestly, so- until that point, we were just pretending that <laughs> we would be able to do it. So it was a big relief for everyone. Oh, yeah. now, okay, this I was going to ask you, Dave, but you
0: hit upon it too, Daryl, when you said, can we do this for an hour and a half? What is that biggest hurdle? Is it the the uh, um, the budget, or is it the amount of time, or what is that there?
1: Well, I, I mean, Dave could probably speak more to this, but it's probably a bit of everything. Um, you know, I can only speak from my experience. Um, on Far Cry, it's like, you, I hate to say this, but at one point you kind of it's it's like a, a parent that has to pick their favorite child. It's a horrible thing because you have these lofty goals as a cinematic director for all of these story moments, but then as production goes and the nature of games, if levels change or stuff changes, and then you have to reshoot scenes or whatever, and just you know your your time frame starts getting less and less and less. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they have to write new scenes, sometimes you know you. to explain stuff, you might have to add even more. Like Dave said, you know, we started out with hopefully only fifty minutes or whatever, and then it's an hour and a half. Um, but at one point, I found you had to kind of um, be very pragmatic about how you approach certain scenes. Mm-hmm. And what I did is, you know, I really just kind of got together with the other directors and said, okay, what are the the top whatever 12 scenes that have got to be like marquee scenes Mm -hmm. then the next have to be at a like at a great level and then so on and then you by you know just the nature of the beast you have to at some point let go of some sequences before they're at the quality that you probably would have wished they were because you know that you know on an arc a story arc these may be the scenes that are maybe less important and i'm you know i don't like to say less important but at one point, you kind of have to do that. Right, I think right. the director would have to do that. So then you have to focus on kind of the marquee scenes. Now, Dave can speak more to that on, um, on Rise, Rise of the Raider. I felt that pretty much every scene was held to a pretty high standard, mm. which was great. Um, but, you know, I think, Dave, you could probably speak more to how Yeah,
2: this up. is definitely an exercise that we've been forced to, uh, to do early on because we were in, in – we're in reviews at some point with Crystal. It was fairly early in production. And they were going on and on about little details on a sequence that I wasn't sure that this sequence was, you know, a key moment in the story. So this is when we decided to, okay, we're going to grade every sequence. There's there's no way, because even ourselves, uh, as Uh, as much as we try to get a view on the big picture, we're all creators, we're all artists, we tend to zoom on the details and just fix (laughs) all of them. But there's millions of them. And if you just go this way, then there's some super important sequence at the end that you'll have no times left to Mm. to do properly. So we actually graded sequence in A, B, and C. A being those are the moments that we we need to be among the best of what is uh, being in, in the industry. And C graded sequence that, you know, those, they just need to be well understood. Uh, the intention needs to be clear. The performance needs to to be clear. It just needs to be, you know, good, and good is enough. Uh, so after that, in many reviews, we're going crazy with details, and then we're looking at the side. Oh, this is a C graded sequence. So we keep all of those comments, but those will go in our CBB list. The CBB list is uh, could be better. This, which means that it's not mandatory. That we hit those notes, but if we have time, time. which that's which, great, which most of the time we don't, but <laughs> it, the, the notes are still there <laughs> in case we do. But that's uh, a great point, though, because
0: you mentioned earlier, though, too, these scenes could get changed or cut. So why spend a ton of time in a grade C one that couldn't be cut? Or change. Sadly,
1: you kind of want to though as i i think like most artists you 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 kind of want to push yourself push everything to the high quality right right and you know then you see an a you know the an a-list scene and you're going like wow that looks so great yeah you know then you're kind of like i wish you know you i think everybody wishes um you could bring everything up to that level but right, right. i think most people know that You know, even in probably all your big budget films or small films, television shows, there are scenes that are just going to be, okay, good enough. Let's move on because we need to hit something else.
0: Right. And that's – yeah, I I don't ever want to come across that way because that's – you're exactly right. Everything should be shooting for the top there. But that's why I mentioned earlier that it takes a very good skill to be able to manage this kind of stuff because not everything can do that by just the sheer fact. So.
2: Uh Yeah, and and even on Tomb Raider, I feel that we we fell short. Uh, I I think in general, um, animation, we've been able to keep the bar uh, pretty high. It's never perfect, but visually, there's some sequence there's some main sequence that would have benefits from having more time from effects and lighting and all that but at some point it's just the reality of you keep x amount of sequence for the end of production and then you're late and you're late and then your shoot is late so at the end what you hope you would have a month to do you have to do in a week and a half mm. uh, even if it's it's that's an important so the the of reality at the very end makes it that the the crunch at some point finish at some point. You have to say, okay, well, we ran out of time for those two sequence at the end. We hope that we would have been able to properly manage it for the 70 sequence that we had, but we kind of uh you we, we we missed the bar on those two or three uh at the end but you know this is experience that we that we're gaining coming back to to what i said that you know that's the purpose of having one cinematic department that can le- learn from its mistake and improve forward now for the the the, the next game this is definitely something that's going to be uh, on our radar way sooner that okay How do we manage our time and where do we put our efforts? Something that is really hard in game as well is that something that uh, uh, Crystal uh, asked us is to provide uh, finalized sequence pretty early on, uh, which is um, a good idea to establish benchmark sequence, uh, benchmark quality for the sequence and to prove that we're able to do it. But that's a very good idea if you don't change your story, which is something <laughs> that didn't happen. So there was a lot of trying to do the final polishing and then half of the sequence. And that, that mm-hmm. happened to one of the the, the sequence of Larry, a sequence that Lara is jumping underwater. And all this 100% keyframe animation of Lara struggling underwater, getting out, coming back in. And then at the end of the day, they said, "Nah, no, we're gonna cut." She gets into water, back to gameplay, and
1: yeah, uh, And at, a time, and at like, the
2: end of the day, it was not even animation; <laughs> it was just for the lighting and effects. Effects would fall short, so they said, "We don't have time; we cut ah, half of that sequence." Yeah, that's rough. So yeah, so that's why for the for our upcoming production, as much as we can, uh, I hope that we'll be able to work in a more layered approach. Like ideally, you have your Final script, although that doesn't exist. <laughs> but you have that, and then you do your your storyboards, and then you do the animatics, and then if you can uh, block the the um, <clears throat> or do very rough previs for. For the entire show and then you do your performance capture and then you, you you put the body in and then the facial and then as you you find your cinematography in the right frame then you go into facial animation so you're able to iterate one layer after the other so if you're one third into production and you cut like five sequence well they were just in rough previous stage anyway. I gotcha so it's not that much of a deal. No, That's, that's great. Um,
0: the script here, because you know, you mentioned they call it locked and stuff, and the first image that came to my mind is, yeah, it's locked, but everybody's got the combination, huh? <laughs> uh, um, how much of that script throughout this process, because again, obviously within a creative environment, it, it's it's iterative, and they're always wanting to plus it here. Just out of curiosity, how much of that on your guys' end, because you aren't dealing with the, the script there, have you mm-hmm. found that it's been worth changing?
2: well honestly when we were into it uh i remember that most of the i would say maybe half of the change we understood them although we find that they were too late uh and the other half of it were just like okay now you're just spinning your wheel and changing (laughs) stuff for the sake of it but at the end of the day you look at the reviews that started to come in today and people love the depth of the villains and the story and all that you're like hey Maybe do right it all along. Um, one thing uh, I would say for me that I felt that, um, I don't know if it's always the case in video game, but in this case, we relied a lot on user tests. And there was a, a danger in showing sequence that were too early in production to show that were a little unclear, and you would get feedback based on something that is not completely finished. Uh, which often is unclear, so you're gonna get feedback that oh this is unclear enough. So production will tell you that oh we have to over clarify it with, you know, more lines and, and more uh, of that. So mm-hmm. there's so I understand their point that for them showing sequence that were final were was too expensive if we're just going in the wrong direction at the same at the same time at some point you have to trust the the, the team that you have uh, with you as well because there's some sequence that were super unclear user tests hated them uh, but with the the chaos of the production we've been able to hold on to it and finish it and once uh, it was finished the user tests were like oh this is amazing okay don't don't change anything so <laughs> that's that's definitely something um that you have to be uh, careful with. Uh, you know, the the, the game come, comes first. If there's a level that doesn't work, if there's a level that is not fun, if there's something that is unclear, uh, often the story will support uh, the, the gameplay. Yeah. So uh, just as, yeah. as much as the story and the characters are important, you have to remember that it's the game first and then the story has to support the game. Gotcha, so yeah. if the, chain, the game... Is going to change, which happened throughout the entire production because it's extremely uh, um, organic mm-hmm. how you create a video game. Then story is going to evolve as well, and you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, the story has to be as flexible as the game, and um, which is tough sometimes because, you know, um, you. I don't know. I guess, like, sometimes for myself, I, you know, some of the changes are hard to take sometimes because they're a bit personal, only because story is a bit subjective as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can remember an iteration of the story that we had on on Rise of the Tomb Raider, which I loved. Uh, you know, the, there was a different opening, which I won't get into, that's <laughs> not the same as it is now, and I thought, this is <laughs> genius. I love it. And then it got changed, yeah. and I was kind of like, oh, that was hard to take because uh-huh. I thought, what a powerful opening, but, again, if we look at the reviews that are coming out now, people are responding really well to it. So, you know, it's tough. I think if I had one big criticism of game development, um, and, you know, I know I shouldn't bite the hand that feeds, but I think um, it, we are really tied to the, to the fan base of a franchise, which is great, because uh, in games you have a lot of times you have very loyal fans, mm-hmm. which, is, which is great, right? But at the same time, it can be a bit of a catch twenty two because there are so many user tests and early user tests Um, before you've actually probably even really like let's say you have like a, a story or or a concept in mind before you've probably even really got to flesh it out and and examine it truly the way you want to, it goes to play test. And if it gets negative feedback, the one thing about game development is um, it is still a bit reactionary sometimes, where it's like, oh, that didn't test very well. Uh, okay, we should change things. Rather than like, okay, maybe we'll iterate on our idea because it wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. So let's try that. It tends to be a bit more like, no, no, we got to change this because they don't like our idea. Mm-hmm. And that that would be my biggest um, frustration with games is that In one respect, it's great to be flexible, but on the other side, you know, sometimes I think we abandon maybe strong ideas sometimes because we're reacting to negative user tests. And it might not just be that they don't like the idea, it might be just that
0: it's not fleshed out enough. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: good point. Okay, well before we finish up our time here, I want to ask you guys, cause this is obviously a huge game. And as you've mentioned here, and you, anybody who's looking at the reviews, um, has done very, very well. What was you for both of you guys here? What was your most enjoyable moment on this? Cause it, how, how long were you guys on this uh, project? I know Daryl, you said yours is a little bit different, but David, how long were you on this one here?
2: Uh, I was on it for almost a year and a half. Okay. And, uh,
0: Daryl, what about you? Uh, I was on it for about a year. Okay. So, Both a good chunk of time here. So what were some of your guys' most enjoyable moments working on this project, this particular game?
2: Uh, Okay. Uh, Uh, Dave? Yeah, (laughs) I'd say, honestly, for me, it comes back to what we talked uh, uh, before a little bit is seeing the, you know, for us, it was just uh, crazy Adventure to start a department, build a team, get everything ready, and build a team as we were having our first project which was which 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 came with the pressure of you know don't don't break it <laughs> <Something> that, <laughs> it's a well known franchise it's a well known character right, so right. you know um, so for many months we're building and building and at some point as when you're supervising it seems that you're throwing like Hundreds of calls, artistic calls uh, you know in in this machine and after a few months you start to see the sequence getting out so when we saw when we also saw the quality of the first sequence that we're starting to get out and then it wasn't just not one but two, three, four five and then we realized that oh wow, okay, most of the show is going to be able to, to keep this quality. Uh, it was a big leap of faith to, to say that for a few months we're just hoping that we knew what we were doing and then to finally realize that, yeah, not only do we know what we're doing and see, but it seems that weeks over weeks we're improving and we're raising the bar and I think that this will be recognized. Uh, so yeah, that was definitely to realize what we're doing and, and the pride of being able to, to do that with uh, uh, a New team as our first project. That's great because,
0: you know, as we're talking about here, you said don't, don't break it. I mean, you look at it, and Laura Croft has been a video game icon for a long time. I mean, I, I yep. forgot when I saw, uh, but they showed the progression of. Um, her uh, visually and, and it goes back to early early 3d mm-hmm. so that's got to be a unique and fulfilling experience to be able to work on a character that's such an icon in video games and be able to like you said add to that history there so very cool yeah daryl what about you uh
1: i guess i kind of have three things um so the first is like dave said um the quality that we were able to hit um now, I, I think I was happy with what we got to do on Far Cry 3, but I always felt like we never quite hit the, the kind of expectations that I had set. And when I saw the finished versions of Tomb Raider, I think that there are quite a few moments that um, either met or exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I really was quite pleased. So. That's cool. Um, the next thing would be the team, the team that Dave has kind of put together was a huge part of it. Um, and you know, this being, I'm back for a month now. Um, and I said, you know, a a big draw was being able to, um, work with actors and direct actors again, but another huge draw was to come back to the cinematics team at IDOS. Um, you know, it's a very close knit group Mm -hmm. that likes to have a lot of fun And what I would say is they were all experienced. And I think the stress level is managed really well on that team. It never feels like it's a chore to be there. Um, So it's it's truly a pleasure to work on that team. And then the third thing that I probably really enjoy, and I, I think Dave will remember this, that when we were starting up the cinematics team, there was potentially two projects that that some of the animators will be going on to. And I I went to him right away and I said, I want to go on Tomb Raider Mm. because this is a project that I really want to work on. And it, it, it was partially because maybe the legacy of Tomb Raider and I played some of the earlier ones, but uh, it was much more personal is that, you know, I have a little girl and a, a little boy and to work on a game that has a very strong female protagonist gotcha. is something that I think is very important to me, and, and not only important to me for my daughter. So she has, you know, one day although she can't play the game obviously, right? Uh, yeah. honest, <laughs> but the but the idea that you know a, a, a somewhat male dominated industry has this little beacon of light, I think, where the we have a female protagonist that you know is not only mentally strong and stuff like that, but the redesign of her and everything is much more a real woman. That's right? a
0: great point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: stressed not very provocatively right. and stuff like that. And, you know, it's also very personal to me to give an example to my son as well as a young man mm-hmm. kind of growing up that he sees that, you know, women can be strong and smart and stuff like that. So, you know, I take a lot of pride in being part of a, a, a project that's kind of trying to push that side of a uh, video game hero.
0: That's great. Very cool. Great point. Yeah. It can uh, stand on our own because of the character and uh, story rather than just uh, visual there, huh? That's
1: right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I, that would be a great note to end off, but I'm sorry. I got one more question here. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the stress level. I just got a curiosity. What would be some of your guys's advice in, in working in that production type environment where, as you know, you said, uh, things are changing and you're having to let things go and you're, or your things are changing and you've got a short amount of time to work on something. What would be some of your guys' advice working in that kind of environment and keeping your head on?
2: Um, I'd say for our team specifically, I'd say it's definitely to surround yourself with people that that have the ability to deal with stress um, I do think this is definitely something that you can develop over time, but this is also something that you're born with, uh, I guess in, in some way. So, um, it definitely helps if most of the team or at least people in charge of supervising or leadership uh, are able to absorb. And you know, e- even if there's some stress, we kind of create a little umbrella over the the rest of the team, so they won't. Even if there's some there's some stuff that they're not aware of that would stress them, we might not tell them un- until it's fixed, and then tell them afterwards. So mm-hmm. it's to manage that stress uh, within the team. Um, I would say to have an experienced team is definitely something that helps. As well, because after 10 15 years, you've been on other production, you know that there's always a way out, the project will always uh, finish, and, and so you know you had other experience that you've been in very uh, at the bottom of the barrel, and you've been able to get uh, you know get back up nice. and, and, and move forward. Um, and I say it's all, also just a question of uh, perspective. I mean, at the end of the day, just go go for a walk, just take a step back, go and whatever, and remind yourself that you know we're not surgeon; we don't have people <laughs> life. Uh, we're creating entertainment. I mean, yep. worst case, it's not going to be as great as you hope as it would be as a piece of entertainment. So that's really what is at stakes here. That's a great point. Uh, so yeah. it's really not. That much uh, of a big deal. Now we're all creators, we're all artists, so we thrive and we stressed over little meaningless details. <laughs> that's our job and that's what we have to live with. <laughs> but as long as the minute after you remember yourself that, you know what, it really doesn't matter yeah. that uh, at the end of the day. Gotcha. Daryl, what about you? You've been here yeah, well, for a little bit here.
1: It's funny because that's my wife likes to call me the tortured artist because i am that person i kind of stress over the whatever those little details um but i don't know it sounds a bit cheesy but i think you know the biggest thing i can say especially from well i think in any almost creative field um is that you kind of just have to relax and embrace the chaos because especially in game development it's always going to be there and um you know, you, I, I at the height of the, the 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 craziness on on Far Cry, I remember talking to my and uh, my um, assistant animation director and just kind of telling him like, look, you have to be willing to come in each morning and ha- ha- take the first fifteen to twenty minutes and assess what are the five priorities of the day, mm. and then you need to attack those priorities with all the vigor and, and kind of intensity that you can knowing that tomorrow when you come in, there are going to be five other priorities. And those ones that you did yesterday are probably going to be forgotten. (laughs) And then if you do that and you just keep going one day, you're going to wake up and there's going to be a product on the shelf. Very cool. Hopefully it's going to be good. So I think it's just, you do have to kind of relax and it all, it's all part of what Dave said. Just, you know, remember it's entertainment. It's going to be chaos. Surround yourself with people who, you know, want the best for the project, and you know you're all in it together. Very cool.
2: Yeah, and, and honestly, there are so many stressful situations that you can be into, but you know, just you know, just in your ability to be able to figure things out at the end of the day. You know, you've we, been every problem, everything. There's not only one solution, but there's many solution. Uh, don't stress stress with it and just believe that you'll be able to find Figure a solution it. and 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 move forward awesome. don't be too serious <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. Too
1: serious. <laughs> obviously i can't help with that
2: joke
0: that <laughs> very cool guys well i really appreciate you guys' time on this it's always neat to kind of get you know like we've mentioned we've had you guys on before but it's always neat to get a, a new and current perspective but also you guys are in different positions or doing different things or in you know so it's always neat to get a, a Updated progress reel for you guys. Guys, check out Rise of the Tomb
2: Raider. Now this is for uh, what systems or system? It's uh it's released at first on Xbox. It's exclusive on Xbox and it's gonna be released on other platform at some point. Later time. A uh, right yeah. We, we've yep.
1: got to the gotcha, okay. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs>
0: we'll check it out. Uh, again, guys, thank you so much for your
2: time. Thanks, Larry. Always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'll see you on podcast eighty. Seven. 7
2: there you go <laughs>
1: alright take
2: care I shall I